filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster It was good. I smoked a lot of meat, uh, an, an eight and a half pound pork butt. Uh, I smoked it over nine and a half hours uh, with some applewood this time instead of um, hickory, which gave it a like a little milder flavor, which was actually appreciated. It wasn't quite as harsh as the lot of hickory wood I put on last time. I probably put on too much wood, um, but. I don't know. I like the applewood, uh, and it went really well with a peach barbecue sauce that my uh, sister sent us from uh, South Carolina. Peach barbecue sauce. I like. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Pretty much anything. It's good. Is, though, I, I I'm, have it. I'm at least mildly interested. Yeah. My, my parents were hesitant. My parents were also here this weekend, and they were hesitant about the peach mm-hmm. barbecue sauce. But if you just think about it. Like grilled peaches are awesome, so why wouldn't a peach barbecue sauce be great? Too? Yeah, especially you put some peppers in there, you know, some add some heat to it. Oh yeah, there, there was heat. There was a bit. There was like a dash of heat on the back end, so uh, right. It, it was well balanced yeah. all around. Sweet heat is a an established barbecue kind of flavor profile. Yeah. yeah. Jason, how was your beach weekend? Uh, it was uneventful in a really good way. Um, if you go to the beach, uh. At the or at least a mid Atlantic beach. I was in the far southern portion of New Jersey, um, actually south of the Mason Dixon line. If you if you check on a map, um, but uh, yeah, the beach town was completely empty. Um, I went when I got there. I unloaded and then went for a uh, the tradition that I've always had is you get there, you unload, and then you walk to the beach no matter what time it is. Um, didn't that almost get you like blown away no, a, in a terrible no, storm? That was a um, board, and no one else was around except for one of my friends. And I had been, uh, I had not slept the night before, and I was like, "Let's go out for a beach walk uh, because we don't have anything else to do." And then it was the derecho that came through a few years ago. Uh, okay. But anyway, this beach walk, uh, there was, I literally did not encounter a single human being anywhere, including in cars, in cars in the distance. Um, anywhere. And I was out there for 45 minutes wandering around, uh, drinking, uh, Cavassier out of a solo cup. Um, and I did not so much as it was a little bit, as I wrote in freedom kicks is a little bit like, uh, the start of 28 days later, except a slightly less populated, uh, setting. Um, so what you're telling us is you are not going to be, uh, an extra in the next season of Jersey shore. Uh, no, thankfully South, South Jersey beaches, as far as I can tell, can tell, get a lot less of the, um, spray tan and, uh, possible alleged, uh, steroid use, uh, that you would see in a normal Jersey shore episode. Um, but instead meat, uh, as well, uh, I cooked a couple different flank steaks that turned out to be very delicious, but I cooked them after DC's game. And so I cooked them and then was like, who wants more dinner? And everyone was sitting around like, 
we're almost out of gas for the day. We're kind of winding down. And I was like, come on, guys, eat this eat this entire bowl of sliced beef that I just made. So I was sort of forcing people to enjoy themselves, regardless of their actual desires. Way to take the situation by the scruff of the neck there, Jason. Like a tyrant. <laughs> As for me, I went to the Renfest on, on Sunday, which is something that Maryland does very well. The Maryland Renaissance Festival. Yeah, it's I'm, good times. I'm, I'm told that it's apparently one of the best. I've only been to it, that one. I can't compare to the other 49 yes, states. Yes, I've only been to the Maryland Renfest. I haven't been to others. I haven't even been to Medieval Times. Um, I do know that, times. that... Apparently, it's scripted. I'm shocked. Uh, I it, Well, uh, I'll let you finish before I tell my Medieval Times story. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Maryland Renfest, if you, if you haven't been, is freaking huge. It's the size of a large amusement park i would say um walking around takes a good amount of time and it's got hills so if you have small children it can also take a good deal of effort to get around um especially in the crowds and the later in the season it gets it starts i think late august early september and runs through into november um and the closer unless they've extended it i think it's like they're open essentially eight weekends maybe seven weekends Mm -hmm. um including some long weekends it went like mid August to the end of September. Uh, no, they're they're open through they all of October. It. Okay, yeah, they they're definitely open through all of October. Um, but it, it's a good time. There's, uh, you know, turkey legs. There's food on sticks. There's beer, cider, and mead. There's people in ridiculous costumes. People in less ridiculous and more ridiculous costumes. Um, and there's kids getting their face painted. Grown ups getting their face painted. Um, mm-hmm. lots of general frivolity there's a jousting arena there's it's it's good stuff uh there's a moccasin sales like a, a moccasin store medieval moccasins is what it's called i'll buzz market i don't care um and we bought magnolia some uh I bought my daughter some um moccasins there uh that that she loves which is good you know you make your three-year-old a little bit happy with a, yeah. a little purchase um yeah, she had a good time. This is she went once when she was a year old. I think this will be the first trip she even vaguely remembers. So nice that she had a good time. Um, saw some friends. It was you know generally generally fun. Did you get her a jousting pike? I did not get her a jousting pike or any other kind of pike. We actually didn't even go to the jousting arena this time. We walked past. What about it, a, but, what, a, what about a halberd? Um, no, she did get her face painted like a butterfly did she then get a warhammer no she did not get a tankard or an ale horn uh she did a bastard sword no she didn't get they have um what do they call them not fairy horns or pixie horns something along those lines though like little tiny horns that lots of women were wearing around that's a thing now at the Renfest is little horns on on people's heads she did not get any of those either okay okay so if you go to medieval times uh and you yell uh first of all you go in and you're very excited and you yell we came for blood multiple times um (laughs) it helps that they they serve alcohol by the way at medieval times uh it does not come with your initial purchase comes with a meal does the alcohol is extra but um Maybe you drank in the parking lot. Uh, that's a hypothetical. Um, <laughs> but first of all, you scream for your knight, and you you uh, 
because it's set up like an arena and your your section is assigned a knight. Um so you root for your knight as if your life depends on it. Um and because uh, it if, might, you don't uh, know how seriously they take these. Right, which apparently uh, the answer is less serious than uh less seriously than my friends and I did. But um, you don't know if you're in medieval times or death times when you go in. I think there's a sign. You do. <laughs> you're in a mall. It says medieval times. Um, but, uh, your knight might notice that you are unusually loud, uh, in your support of, uh, his cause. And, uh, afterwards they allow you to meet the knight. And, uh, in our case, the knight was very grateful, uh, that we, we were, uh, so furiously supporting him. And he won, they do two rounds. There's like a skills competition and then the actual jousting competition. He won the skills competition, but not the joust. Um, and, uh... We were telling him that we were very excited and proud that he won half of the competition, <laughs> um, and he was informing us that uh, the joust part is scripted. They have a different script for every day of the week, um, and we were kind of let down by that. But we still did. We invited him to a party uh, at our house that he never showed up to. Um, did you stipulate that I he had to come made... in costume? He had to come as the knight? I don't know. Uh, as I said, uh, hypothetically, <laughs> we may have been drinking in the parking lot, so... <laughs> I don't remember if we told him he had to show up as the Yellow Knight, but uh, he was the Yellow Knight, and he said that it was unusual to receive such uh, uh, loud and and fervent support, uh, which may or may not have included the phrase, we came for blood. Repeatedly include the phrase. Repeatedly. And and with table slapping uh, to accompany it. Naturally. You know, you gotta bring that authentic sporting environment to... Sure, it's medieval times. This wasn't a time of uh, thoughtfulness. It's a good point. Yeah. And on that, why not start the show? Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and I... I we want blood! We came for blood podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They're Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We cover DC United and really whatever else in the world of soccer we feel like talking about, which this week includes the U.S. men's national team, who uh, have their final two uh, CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers coming up. And we are going to talk about that. Before that, we are going to talk about DC United's week, which involved two games, one in New Jersey, one in Ohio. We will talk about both of those, but before we do anything, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, So since I went to the beach and was the last person to leave, uh, one of the things I was in charge of was cleaning out whatever people had abandoned in the fridge, Um, and I took... That means you you take some of the spoils, but also um, some of the spoils are odd. So in this case, there was one single beer left for the entire weekend. Uh, and it was a bottle of Blue Point Brewing Company's Oktoberfest. So I am drinking that now. Blue Point is from upstate New York, I want to say. Um, it's not bad. It's a little more of a, it's a less malty Oktoberfest than I'm used to, but it's still, it's it's pretty nice. This is the first fall-ish weather I can remember on a Monday night when we are recording mm-hmm. this, this season. Uh, when I went to Colorado a few weeks ago, it was definitely fall there up, you know, uh, over a mile in, in altitude. And, um, there've been various little bits of fall weather, but this is the first one I can remember happening while we record. So I am drinking a Manhattan made with, uh, one, eight distillings, rock Creek rye, uh, from here in the district. Um, and I'm using some Campano sweet vermouth 
and I didn't have any cherries or at least any cherries that don't suck on hand. So I cut off some orange peel, you know, expressed the, the oils into it and, and dropped in the peel as the garnish. And for whatever reason, the notes of orange from that in, in this particular combination, just sing out really brightly and loudly. It was, uh, the orange was way more intense than I was expecting it to be because it's just, you know, a little bit of orange peel twisted over the top. Um, but it really came out and I was really happy with it. So yay bartending. Uh, Ben, what are you drinking? So like I said previously, my, uh, parents were in town this weekend and my father's taste in beer can be described as 1980s. Champagne Uh, beers. Well, he has, he has on multiple occasions, I'm not drinking the champagne of beers. Uh, you should drink sorry the champagne of beers. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> um, I mean, if somebody gives me a free champagne of beers, I will drink that. But that goes into the rest of the story. Um, so he has often said that his favorite beer is Rolling Rock. Uh, we cannot get Rolling Rock, at least in the Kroger nearest to my house. So uh, instead, he bought uh, Dos Equis and... Uh, Stella Artois and being one to take one for the team for the rest of my household. I am drinking a Dos Equis lager uh, right now to, because it's, it's so light that I'm not going to do any damage to myself, just pounding uh, two Dos Equis over a night. So just, just two is not no. pounding in this amount of time. I mean, I, I pounded two over the course of cooking fish. Oh, so you're already two in. Yeah. You're you're starting with a head start. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, it's Dos Equis. I mean, it's not going to do anything to me. Are, are you trying to imply that Dos Equis, like, drinking it doesn't even count? Basically. <laughs> like, I was drinking the, the first one, it was nice and cold from my fridge, while I was cooking uh, fish, and, like... Wait, do you, did you take out more than one so that the next one wouldn't be cold and fresh from the fridge no No, i'm just describing its taste vis-a-vis its coldness and it had just as little taste as any other uh adjunct light lager it was baffling it was baffling or completely expected i think both (laughs) i think it could be both okay i'll i'll let that stand should we talk about soccer or, or should we keep I going guess. on adjunct loggers? I don't really want to talk about adjunct light loggers. In that case, it's soccer. Almost, so we probably should talk about soccer. It's, it's <laughs> true. It is true. So uh, DC United began this past week with a trip to Red Bull Arena for the appetizer to the finale at RFK Stadium, which will also feature those two teams. And it was a, a, a pretty good one. An exciting one up there, finishing 3-3 three to three in a back-and-forth affair that saw Zoltan Stieber score his first goal for D.C. United, Patrick Mullins score his first goal for D.C. United outside of RFK Stadium, and own goal score his, her, its, um, not first goal for D.C. United this year. Uh, United had to come from behind twice in this one, which uh, was a surprise 
nicely resilient performance. Resiliency was a thing in this in this game. Yeah, uh, it was encouraging to see. I mean, we've talked so much about how fragile this team can be, and and any team that's struggling, it's not specific to DC United. If you have a bad year, by the time August and September rolls around, and it's when the, your bad year is not suddenly lifting uh, magically, um, you tend to be fragile. And so uh, seeing the team go to Red Bull Arena and get in this emotional roller coaster kind of game where, you know, they came back to get a lead and then found themselves down again. Um, normally, when a team is fragile, that that last uh, push up the roller coaster, uh, that'll do it. You, you sort of... You cave in, you say, all right, well, it was a good effort, but um, we just couldn't sustain it for 90 minutes, and that's that. Um, so the fact that they managed to keep fighting, I mean, it wasn't a glorious performance. It was an exciting game without necessarily being a brilliant game. Um, but uh, no, it, it showed some, some fortitude that maybe hasn't been there, and maybe this group is starting to, uh, at least on Wednesday night, they'd started to look like maybe they were getting a little bit of footing in far, in terms of um, being able to take one on the chin. Uh, United's first goal came in first half stoppage time. Zoltan Stieber uh, scored off a wicked deflection on a free kick. He kicked it through the wall and, and watched it just split in front of him. Uh, the Red Bulls were doing something off a little bit Phillips's interesting in the end. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was an interesting deflection. Number one, um, Felipe had, I guess, decided, realized there was a shot coming, and decided to stop marking whatever space or person he was supposed to be covering, and did uh, almost a hockey block style feet, foot first slide behind the wall to prevent uh, a shot from going under the wall. Uh, the deflection ended up going around him entirely. If he had not gone so far, he actually might have put another deflection on it and kept it from going to goal, but that would have been a random event in itself. United second was, uh, some nice play. Uh, I think I forget who passed it to Knaus. Um, but then Russell Knaus put a, a ball to Patrick Mullins in behind. And the third goal of course was, uh, own goal assisted by Bruno Miranda. I don't know if he gets an assist for that or not, but which is kind of too bad. I think you get an assist, but in real life you do not. That's almost too bad because it was a, a really good dangerous cross, even though um, the defender, Escobar, right, uh, really not under any pressure and just turned it into his own net. Who had subbed in. Delightful to way. see. Um, so two yeah. substitutes involved on that, that own goal. You know, it's nice to see the subs making an impact. Right. Uh, go ahead, Beth. <laughs> oh, no, I just wanted to talk about my delight on the, the Stevie goal and the celebration also talk. <laughs> well, yes, the celebration, of course, cause he just bought straight into the Zoltan and did the, the Z sign with his hands. Which is great. But, but I also just enjoyed, I, well, I think it was Burnbaum and Marcelo who got in there and I feel like they distracted the wall just enough to put them off their game and allow, uh, not allow, but to help Zoltan uh, get the ball through the wall and, and into Guys, the goal. Can I, I just say something? I was going to send a tweet from the Twitter account, uh, our, our podcast Twitter account, of the Zoltan uh, gif. And after the first four results that are all about that, the fifth one is 
Sultan Stieber throwing that Z up from scoring this goal. Already there. Uh, on so you got to tweet that one, right? Yeah, exactly. But I'm just, I was, it's the first seven results. Six of them are the familiar Zoltan uh, Z. And then one is Zoltan Stieber uh, celebrating his goal. And then the eighth one is, well, I, mean, uh, I believe, from Grey's Anatomy. That movie is 17 years old. Right. So it's not that surprising that Zoltan Stieber is that high up the Google results. This is on Gif- this is Giffy's um, in the Twitter app. This is uh, in in Giffy's results, okay. so it's already. Uh... But still, yeah, you'd you'd be surprised how many different versions of the same GIF can right crowd okay. out other things. Says, "Feel old, dude. Where's my car? Is seventeen years old. I already feel old. You don't have yeah. to make me feel older. I feel old all the time. My back hurts. Uh, <laughs> I remember things that are." You know, I I dearly remember and very vividly remember things that are more than a quarter century ago. I'm I I feel plenty old, Ben. Thanks. Double dare, family double dare, guts. You can't Legends do that on television. Temple. I'm going to yeah. go further back than anything you just said. <laughs> you are older than me. No, well, yeah, 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 yeah. So, Jason, <laughs> how did you rate United's performance against? Um, Jesse Marsh's weird three 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 one formation. Uh, I mean, on one hand, I was glad that they were able to extend the uh, the Red Bulls' habit for giving up uh, pretty good scoring chances. They've been doing that against other teams. Um, the Red Bulls have. Uh, they've been vulnerable, even though they're playing a back three. The gaps between those three defenders end up being substantial. Um, it seems like they just aren't very well drilled in where to be, and they leave these gaps. They ball watch a little bit, which is more on individual defenders um, than it is on the coaching, but the combination of those two things um, left... You know, I would have been disappointed to come away from this game and be like, how did DC not create some good looks in this game? Um, but on the other hand... Uh, the defensive side of the ball was less than satisfactory. Um, you know, the the first goal especially is one that it's just, it can't happen like that. Um, and uh, it comes down to something simple. And it's kind of, when, even when United has created goals this year, they've had that tendency to shoot themselves in the foot in the back. And it's a simple thing as ducking under a header that, if you're in Corb's shoes, it doesn't even matter about the communication side. If you don't know that there's no one coming at the back post, if you're not 100% sure, <sighs> you put your head on that ball and send it away. Um, and then, you know, if if someone had told you, hey, there was no one there, it's, what you're giving up is a corner. You're not giving up a potential goal. Um, so in terms of evaluating risk, it's just a, it's a letdown. Um, but it was also disappointing that, I mean, Connor Laid had several good crosses, and we're used to Connor Laid being a liability um, and DC at times, um, did that, but it wasn't a 90 minute thing. And his crossing from that flank ended up being pretty dangerous for the Red Bulls. And he's not even known for being particularly good going forward. So, um, it was really, it was a very mixed bag performance because there were good things going forward and we were used to kind of the other way around. Um, when DC gets a draw, it's usually like, well, they defended fairly well this time for once, but they couldn't really create this time it was, they created themselves enough chances to, I mean, if you score three on the road, it's that classic cliche. If you score three on the road, you should get three points. Um, 
and the fact that they let themselves down with these defensive errors was really, um, it would be more maddening if we all hadn't sort of had a month to come to grips with the fact that the season was going to end without a playoff appearance. Um, because this was the game that technically closed the door completely, but we've all known that the door is, you know, 99% closed for quite a while. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I suppose it, in a way it's progress because we're at least getting chances and scoring goals on the road, but you know, progress is slow and uneven. It's not linear. So you re- referred to Tyler Adams, uh, first goal there. He, he had his first two professional goals, both of them coming from yes. right wing back and he plays a lot of central midfield, um, yes. as well, or has and does for, uh, us youth international or youth national teams. Uh, but playing right wing back had lots of room to run forward, obviously, and and did so to to pretty good effect. The his second goal came on a rebound and was really a seeing eyeball that went through. I think no right. fewer than three right. pairs of legs on its way to the far it, it post. It went through two plus an attempt to block. Yeah, it, it. was um, Burnbaum. It didn't go through Burnbaum. He tried to block it but couldn't reach it. Um, but yeah, it's still kind of a. It's sort of like it's in the same category in my mind in terms of good fortune as Stieber's goal. Um, in that when you take a shot, that's like that, you're just really hoping for the best. You don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and so that kind of, in my mind, it sort of cosmically balances those two goals. Out. It's like, well, sometimes you get lucky. If you, if you shoot on frame, things happen. Does anyone care to discuss the penalty call? Um, the Red Bulls third goal came on a penalty, uh, Verone was breaking, got ahead of Paul Areola, uh, who nudged him in the back. Um, and I'll preface this by saying I do think it was, at the very least, a justifiable penalty call, if not the right call. But Verone definitely lifted the landing gear at the same time. Both those things can be true. It was a hard sell. Yes. Not a dive, but a hard sell by, Two by Verone. Can be, yeah. Two things can be true. I think it was... A harsh call, but a justifiable call. It's not a ridiculous call that we can sit here and saying turn the game or anything. I I think it was a little harsh. I think Verone made a lot of it, but I think it's not it's not outside of the realms of the of the rules of the game. So, my my opinion is it was a penalty. Um, Verone got his shoulder out in front to make sure that the collision wasn't going to be shoulder to shoulder; that it was shoulder to back. Um, and you have to, sometimes you have to give credit. He knew what he was doing. He knew he wasn't going to turn it into a chance on goal. Um, and so he tried to figure out what else can I do in this scenario? Um, and he got his shoulder out in front. He had the speed. I mean, Paul Ariel is pretty fast. Um, but Verone showed his speed over the, from midfield on, he showed that over a distance like that, um, he is very fast as well. And he did just enough. Um, it helped that he's a sub coming in, whereas Ariola was not. Um, I think that's how he gains that tiny half step that ends up being the penalty. Um, yeah, I didn't have any disputes of it. Um, if anything, I was worried that the, the fact that it was a last man back, you know, so I'm not saying dog, so I'm saying last man back. Um, but we've seen referees equate those two things when they are not equal. Um, and I was worried that it was a last man back foul and the referee was going to also go ahead and send him off. Um, so the fact that he said, yes, you committed a foul, but it's not dog. So, um, to me, it was like, well, I think this is all, 
as as it should be. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the instance, it's it's what happened. Um, I I'm not happy with DC's defensive shape. It that Ariola ends up being the last man back, trying to chase Gonzalo Verón, who is at the time playing as a striker. Um, that's not a good sign. Um, because that wasn't uh, that was sort of a t- deterioration in play. It wasn't that um, Ariola was the last man back on a corner or something. So it's kind of a mess of a play, and United paid for it. But that's the kind of thing that they've been doing defensively all year: is that they make a mistake and then they pay for it. Um, and they're going to have to learn in these coming weeks and during the off season how to avoid making so many mistakes and shooting themselves in the foot. As I said at the outset, uh, nice appetizer to the finale at RFK Stadium, which I guess we're supposed to call last call at RFK, is what the the team is going with. That's that's what they're calling it. We can okay. we don't have to abide by their rules. Can we call it last yeah. dance at RFK? They didn't even t- to, to be fair. They didn't even order that's us true. to do that. They haven't. That's true. That's just their their so. branding of it. Um, last last chance yeah. saloon. Well, I was going for the. The sad, if timely, Tom Petty reference. Last dance at RFK. Well, well we don't know if we need to be that. I mean, we know no, he's no, on no, life. No. We know he's on life support yeah, at the very okay. best. It's which is sad. Anyway, um, this game was a good appetizer for that finale, and uh, hopefully, United can win by a couple goals and retain the Atlantic Cup. I think that's all they have to do to retain it is win by two or more goals at RFK stadium. If they manage to keep the red bulls from going to the playoffs, as Steve Birnbaum said is the goal at this point. Love that. Uh, even better. Unfortunately, they, Oh, go yeah, ahead. Uh, that's the goal, right. That's it's the goal, right. Is, uh, if you can't get in the playoffs, you at least need to spoil it for the red bulls. However you can. Yeah. Sounds exactly right to me. Uh, if only this was like a, an adult league, um, where you can just sub on, you know, guest on whatever team you want to, because the rules are the roster rules are incredibly lax. Um, then then we well, could like, of send rules, someone to to help out whoever the Red Bulls. Speaking are of roster rules, it, it would be helpful if uh, Orlando City actually gets the forfeit against FC Dallas, because that would uh, put them only two points behind the Red Bulls. Yeah, let's talk about this really briefly. Let's talk about this really briefly. Um, Orlando played FC Dallas over the weekend. FC Dallas originally listed um, Michael Berrios in their starting 11, at least on Twitter and uh, in the press room. We, we've seen the tweet. We, we've heard from people who are in the press room. That is what they, they told people. Berrios was a late scratch, which happens all the time. Uh, Tesho Akindeli started. But by rule... If someone is scratched from the starting, the official starting lineup before uh, kickoff, they are scratched from the game entirely. They cannot come in as a sub. Michael Barrios did come in as a sub. The punishment under a FIFA regulation and uh, reportedly under MLS regulations as well is forfeit, which means a 3 nothing win for Orlando City in the scorebooks. We don't know what the lineup card that uh, Oscar Preha's technical staff gave to the referee we don't know what it said we don't know if it said barrios or akindeli if it said barrios then that that looks like it ought to be a forfeit if not then this is much ado about nothing but if orlando wins that game three nothing suddenly they're only two points behind the red bulls 
instead of five. Yep. And and Dallas, if I'm not mistaken, Dallas falls below yeah, the red so line. So this would be the a they're are, they, they, hugely they're already uh, below the red line. They're they're tied on points with with the red line, okay. but on tiebreakers they're below. But it would put them even further below. And it right. So this is a potential on both sides. For yeah, the- yeah, and we'll talk about or we we might talk about us the us coaching uh succession later especially since oscar preha features so prominently in it but uh this is kind of the latest thing that detracts from his potential future candidacy for for that job um but yeah this would be huge i guess we have to root for that mistake from pareja at this point if you are but i hate so but i hate orlando so much too yeah but not as much as new jersey yeah i'm having a hard time what I'm really rooting for, I'm really rooting for MLS to suddenly decide that only five teams. <laughs> that that would be better. Spot. Even though the even though that, the East is so much better, Montreal. Uh, I want the I, yeah. I don't want either of those teams in the playoffs. Right, that's fair. But Montreal is doing everything. Um, Montreal's been handed such a golden opportunity. The Red Bulls haven't won in eight nine games now, and eight. and Montreal just keeps deciding they're not going to win either. It's really, yeah. or uh, even really, or even the stupid revs. Even the stupid revs could do this, but they're the not. Revs are, or the yeah, union. Or. There are actually four teams uh, with thirty-nine points on the same number of games played um, in the East. So any of them could jump up and have pursued the Red Bulls. And really, I dislike dead. most of yeah. them, except I mean, the Impact are okay, but the revs, the Union, Orlando. Uh, and I, I, I think we'll we'll pick up with the, the crew game after the break and just, you know, go into it on this frustrated tone because that's a good way to throw to an advertiser, right? When you're frustrated? Sure, why not? Let's do it. We're not frustrated with our advertising. We're not. We love our advertising partners. Uh, we're frustrated with the, the state of the muddy middle of the Eastern Conference, which DC United is not even a part of. Stick around. It's filibuster the Black and Red United podcast. Grumble mutter. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But, but if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. We talked about the three to three 
draw in New Jersey in the last segment. Unfortunately, the black and red couldn't build on that showing when they went to Ohio, a rotated side losing two to nothing uh, to the Columbus crew on a corner kick goal by Josh Williams. And let's call it a Galazzo from, from Justin Miram really good curler to the far post. That was really unsavable. Um, we'll, we'll break down at least we'll, we'll break down what went wrong with those two goals in a minute, but I, I think it's worth starting on the unfortunate point that, um, thus ends the, the magic clean sheet run of Jalen Robinson. He had played, I don't even know how many minutes and United hadn't conceded a goal. This was the first time we had Jalen and no party basically. I mean, yeah, I'm, and yes, it was Jalen and Kofi for all that time. I still want to see Jalen and Burnbaum. Oh, I, I know did, why. I Jalen wasn't involved in Robinson wasn't involved in either goal. It, it should be said he he wasn't at least at fault for either goal as far as I could see. So that that's worth that, noting. But we had noted the correlation between him starting and the team not giving up any goals, and and that correlation is now. If not ended, then at least a little bit weaker. Yeah, I mean, at least it was. I mean, none of it was really on him. Um, but of course, we didn't have a solid, right, evidence-based way of saying this is why they keep getting shutouts when he's in games. It was more of a something's going on, and I want to see more to figure it out. Not a this is why it's happening um, kind of case. So it was bound to end at some point, um, and uh, and and maybe even. Uh, you know, the fact that it's a corner kick goal and you've got a 5'9 center back in, in instead of uh, a much taller guy, you end up with Sean Franklin having to mark a uh, one of their top targets, and then you end up with the confusion uh, that leads to the first goal. Now, I don't necessarily think that... I know a lot of the reaction was Franklin was involved in both goals, so therefore um, more of a case against Franklin, but... I actually thought the first goal was almost entirely on Kofi Opare because Jonathan Mensa and Sean Franklin, I mean, Franklin had kept track of Mensa. The confusion comes when Opare just sort of runs into them and then loses track of Williams entirely. So to me, that goal was much more of a, an individual not being able to deal with his assignment and losing his man and not being able to do anything to stop his man from getting to the ball. Um, so for me, at least the first goal isn't so much on Franklin as it is on Opare, but um, maybe that's the trickle-down effect of Robinson being in the game. It, it affects United's uh, marking choices. Um, certainly they don't have... They, this isn't the past where Perry Kitchen, for example, could maybe step in. If you played Robinson, um, you could end up with Kitchen marking a big target and usually doing a close to, to center-back level job in that department. Um that isn't really the case with the rest of the team. We don't have that um, extra guy who happens to be really good at marking on set pieces. So we have to kind of make do. Um, and that can be, I'm, I'm sure that's part of the consideration um, with Robinson. Um, I, if anything, I'm, I suspect that it's a major reason why Olsen doesn't pick him uh, as often is because of his size, which he can't do anything about. Um, unfortunately, I think he, there's just a level of skepticism there with the coaching staff towards having. But, but can, can you, I, I mean, uh, Burnbaum is tall and Burnbaum is the captain and you've never tried Burnbaum with 
Robinson. And I know there was a good reason to rest Birnbaum because he played two games in a row in short rest, but yeah, I, I need to see him and with Robinson well, in an actual also MLS a big game. Guy, so when you have two big guys as center backs, that's the size of one of them isn't an issue. Um, I will say Robinson does have some... He has a good right. leaping ability. He has good timing. He can disrupt people. There, there are things you can do to make up for a lack of sheer size. And, and if you have Chris Dewey-Atchum in there, who's more athletic at this point than Sean Franklin is, well, maybe I that papers to, over to some back, of these things uh, as well. Because we're kind of all over the place right now um, with multiple players coming in. Um, I think the reason that we haven't seen Burnbaum and Robinson that often is that, at least this year, um, as uh, I believe the... Um, the crew broadcast mentioned in their speaking with Olsen, uh, in Olsen's opinion, Opare has been the best defender on the team this year. Um, and so if he's going to choose one guy to be dropped, one center back to be dropped uh, for Robinson in a game for, you know, whether it's for short, you know, resting on short, uh, short rest, or if it's just experimenting for next year, he's more likely to choose the guy that isn't at the top of his own personal list, which means we end up with Robinson and Opare again. Um, which is, you know, that's down to his judgment more than anything else. Um, I do agree that it needs, we need to see more of that Robinson Burnbaum pairing. We need to know more about it because right now we don't really know anything about it. Um, right. Cause, cause Burnbaum is obviously right. his, in the plans going forward. And while Opare has been good this year, we don't, we don't necessarily know like if, if this is his ceiling or if Robinson with additional time able, may be able to match that yeah, or and, exceed and, it. You know, that's something. I mean, of course, now we don't really have much time, especially because we all, we all know that United is going to treat the finale at RFK like a playoff game, essentially. So we're not going to see rotation for youth in that game at all. It's going to be about let's win this particular game and put our best foot forward. So we've really only got one shot at seeing right. a Robinson burn bomb uh, partnership on the field once uh, one more time, um, which would make it two times ever, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so yeah, it's it, uh, I can't recall. When was the, the first time? Um, it, it's no, I, I, I don't think it's hap- I, mean, I don't think it's ever happened yeah, in MLS play. That's right. Yeah, it, at least no, not in league play. If it's happened, case, it wasn't in one. league play. It was in a it was in a preseason. In I case, think we, we saw them together. Only one more game where it could happen. Um, but yet, yeah, which is why I was annoyed right. that it didn't yeah. happen but in I mean, this I guess midweek game. You're talking about rebuilding for next year. One of the things you have to reestablish is standards within the locker room, and part of that is rewarding the guys that are playing the best. So, for the same thing that we've been saying, Robinson should get more time because he's been playing well. Um, we also have to say that if Olsen's judgment is that Opare has been better than Burnbaum, then on some level he does have to establish the standard of like, this guy has been the best, so therefore he gets to play. Um, so it's a, it's a mix of, there's a lot going on, and we end up with some fairly imperfect choices from every angle. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't even know what question we came in on other than yeah. talking about the first goal. Yeah, it was really just talking about Jalen Robinson, but I do want to talk about the goals. You you kind of broke down the first goal, which Sean Franklin was involved with, and he was I, I don't know if he was supposed to be marking he Williams. He was marking Jonathan he, Mensah. He probably was marking Josh Williams. Right, and he ended up. I I think 
from watching it, what it looked like happened is Franklin was was in the way, and Opari either didn't communicate to Franklin that they needed to switch marks, or or Franklin what? just what? inadvertently screened Opari. But either way, um, jo- it, Josh Williams yeah. got a free yeah, header and scored on it. There was yeah, no the mark idea near there him. Is what Columbus is trying to do in that situation is Mensa is going to make a hard run to the near post, and Williams, as he ended up doing, drops off the group and. Um, the choice, I mean, I'm assuming that Columbus worked on this, and because it, it gives you two options, either you go Mensa at the near post or you go to Williams at the far post. Um, in this case, with the choice to go to the, the back post, what they're looking for is Mensa's run either runs him into Opare and sets a pick directly, or he drags Franklin with him and sets a pick that way, and it's sort of, both of those things kind of happened, um, but Opare, if, if he keeps his head on a swivel right. just for half a second in the build-up to it, he should see it coming, and he can get closer to Williams earlier, and thus get he would go around the pick entirely if he had gotten a little closer. Um, and so that's why I was saying that the goal's on Opare, because he had his chance to avoid being picked, um, and he didn't do it. He just wasn't aware of what was happening around him, and that's part of marking, is it's not just being aware of the person you're marking, it's also being aware of what's coming, because people are always trying to use the fact that you're super focused on one player. They're trying to use that against you by setting a pick or running their marker into you, etc. Um, and that's that's how this goal gets scored, is that Columbus uh, had a little pre-rehearsed. It's not a full, you know, full squad pre-rehearsed movement. It's just two guys doing a pre-rehearsed movement, and they made it work. And it was an old uh, chestnut coming back for DC United, conceding a goal, <laughs> especially an opening goal, on yeah. a set piece. Um, not, not great. You don't want to see that keep happening. It's not like it's costing us a playoff spot at this point in the year, but it has been an ongoing problem. Um, oh yeah. Right. Earlier in the year, for sure. Look back on all the points that are lost because of those goals. You start, you start to look at the the East. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not hard to find nine or 10 points that are off the table because of set piece goals. And you add nine or 10 points of DC total and they're still alive right now. Yeah. yeah, it's been a problem this year for sure. Uh, Sean Franklin also involved in the second goal. Justin Miram gets the ball in acres of space out on the left. Sean Franklin was tucked in tight because that's where the play was. And I, I'm not going to fault him for being tucked in tight. He he responded to the ball going wide pretty well, I thought, but then backed up and backed up and backed up. And oh, there's his goal. Um yeah, don't back up. Even even against Justin Miram, at least force him outside onto his left foot so that he has to cross. And he can cross with his left foot. That's fine. But he's not going to score from a tight angle with his left foot the way he scored this goal. And it was a it was a fantastic shot by Justin Miram. But yeah, we know he's in that kind of form. Goals or whatever. We know he's able to do that. A lot of his goals look like this. So. So it was a it was a fail. I think that was a mental failure Franklin more just, than anything for Franklin. Um, he should have known you don't back off of Justin Miram like that in that position. Um, you don't back down. I mean, there are some guys you do that you you do try to close off the near post or you know. I, actually, it's not your job. I, to close I was, off I was making post, I, I, but, I was making another Tom Petty reference. Ah, that's that's fair. Yeah, I that was a mental error on my part and. Um, I take full responsibility for it, and <laughs> I, I just got to tell the the gaffer that I'm going to do better next week. Um, <laughs> you know what? I apologize for that too. 
<laughs> the the person responsible for Adam's apology has also been sacked. See that reference I got. <laughs> Let's talk about the goalkeeping. Bill Hamid um, was kept out of uh, last week's game uh, as a coach's decision had been made a couple weeks in advance. They promised the start to Steve Clark so that they could see how he did with this unit. Steve Goff later reported that uh, Ives, he, he later confirmed uh, Ives Galarsip's report that there was a German scout or German team board member, whoever it was in the stands for this game. Bill Hamid, uh, this is this next part is Goff's report. Bill Hamid requested to be reinserted into the lineup. Uh, by that point, Ben Olsen said, sorry, we already promised it to, to Clark. We're not going to make a change at this point. Then Hamid went and injured his back in practice. And so Steve Clark continued to play for, for both of these games, made some big saves. I think none bigger than a, a stone cold stop that should probably win save of the week on uh, Bradley Wright Phillips during the Red Bulls game. Uh, Jason, what are your thoughts on Clark's performance uh, on the overall? Well, just in the narrow that that save that he made, uh, you might have noticed that the aftermath of that was that he celebrated it in the manner that goalkeepers tend to celebrate penalty kick saves. Um, that is, yeah, it was. <laughs> that is, Steve he, he Clark. was. Hyped. He is a very demonstrative. Um, he's very. He, you know, a lot of goalkeepers tend to try and keep their emotions bottled up a little bit. It's very much about being focused and staying calm. Uh, Clark is, it's, it's on his sleeve. Um, all of that is out in the open. Um, uh, I, and that's not to say he's not like a hothead. He's not getting into fights or whatever, but when he does well, he really, um, it riles him up and, and that's just his character. He's an emotional guy and he, he shows that. Um, I, I think it kind of confirmed that he hasn't changed from who he was in MLS, the whole, the whole two performances. Um, He's going to make big saves. He's got really good reflexes. Um, he's very brave. Um, even for, I mean, goalkeepers are all fairly brave because you have to throw yourself in front of a ball while people try to kick it um, and hurl their bodies at it. It's not a position for you to go in if you value your safety. Um, but so, but even in that field, Clark is fearless, and um, he's got that. He he doesn't have. He's not big and tall. He's not big physically imposing. Um, but he manages to get to a lot of things that you don't think he's got a chance. And it, part of that is too, is he's the kind of guy that doesn't give up on a play, um, which we all assume that people are never, they should never give up, but there's a difference between the standard never give up and the level Clark gets to. He's always thinking he's got a shot at saving things. Um, yeah, you, you always see goalkeepers when they think a ball is going to go wide, yeah. they'll, they'll stop and watch it. And sometimes that ball curls into the corner. Sometimes it hits the post. Sometimes it goes well wide. But um, you you kind of want the goalkeeper that that errs right. on the side of caution there, and and that's I think I think that speaks to Clark on that. He also I think this save on on BWP definitely you have to credit his fundamentals, his footwork, his body positioning on it because he he shut down what should have been a surefire goal. Granted, Wright Phillips helped him out by not taking that first time. But but Clark made the save. He made the shot impossible. And he said after the game that as soon as uh, BWP didn't take it first time, right. he knew that he had the save made. At that point, he knew it was not going to be a goal. And that speaks to his confidence and his, you know, his right. belief in um, himself. So, so all I of guess. those things are, are positives. I, but I do, 
I did notice some stuff that plagued Clark when he was here before. Um, he tends to misjudge things just slightly, and he he ends up... T- what he does is he'll take an incorrect or less-than-ideal line to the ball. Um, and we saw it in both games where he took... Instead of having a straight line to approach across, he ends up misreading it, realizing it, and then having to sort of curl his run backwards. Or um, there were a couple actually on a shot that kind of resembles what Adam's talking about, where you follow the ball to the post to make sure it goes wide. Um, There was one of those where he seemed to realize late how close it was going to be and even then didn't take the lateral step he needed. He took sort of an arcing path towards the ball, which is not ideal. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Um, so some of his judgment and some of his, um, movement choices, not necessarily with the ball in his hands or making saves, but he doesn't put himself quite in the right position. Now, so far, none of them have come back to haunt United. He, you might've noticed there's a few crosses that he deflected, uh, wide. There was one in the, I want to say the second minute of this crew game where he came for a ball that actually was going faster than he thought. And he had to, uh, alter Basically, he had to alter his whole approach to what he was going to do, and instead of pushing the ball away out to the box, he had to just use his fingertips to just slap at it and hope that it would go wide. Um, And it all came from he went for a ball without necessarily having a solid bead on where it was going. Now, he did enough to cover for the mistake, but you're still looking for – we're all looking for perfection. And in this case – and this is kind of a thing with him is that he doesn't necessarily take the perfect line to the ball – of course, if he's still getting the job done, if he's still able to deflect that ball away, which is what he did, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but there may come a time where that that becomes an issue. Um, if I'm and I thought this when he was in Columbus, if I'm playing against Steve Clark, I want a lot of crosses whipped in that force him to make a choice because of these less than ideal lines. Uh, you might end up getting something out of it that you didn't expect to get. Um, but all that said, I thought. Overall, his performance in both games was was pretty good. It's not his fault um, that the crew scored the two goals they did. Uh, Merrim's shot was in a tiny window that basically, um, that's why it's such a good goal, is that the chances of that ball getting in are virtually zero. It's it's almost the the, shape, the sphere shape of the ball is the only window that ball could have gone in. Um, the goals against the Red Bulls, uh, you know, one's a penalty that he guessed the right way on. Um one is a shot through traffic that he probably didn't see until it was already almost all the way in. Uh, so there's nothing he can do about that. Um, you know, all, all three goals. I mean, the Adams goal was also a really excellent shot into the upper corner. I know there was a little talk about whether he went down too early, but I think in that instance, um, he's got to assume that Adams is going to go for the more likely uh, shot, which is to keep it low. Because if you're going high and you mess up at all, you miss. Whereas if you go low and you mess up, right. it still might become a rebound. Um, That's also the the goalkeeper's curse and the the commentator's luxury. If you go down and the shot goes high, then you went down too early. If you don't get down soon enough and the shot goes low, you didn't right. get down soon enough. So you're always going to be, especially when it's uh, someone not inclined to give you the benefit of the doubt, which... Shep Messing is invested in the the DC New Jersey rivalry. He's going to criticize every right. DC player. So he he was the one I saw most prominently saying that that Clark went down well, too early on that. Let, but let Shep uh, say that the next time Luis Robles goes down too early, and I'll I'll just wait. For him. <laughs> he he won't. It will never. He happen. won't say it. You um, can let him all you want, but yeah. he's not going to say it. 
Why, 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 why did we speak know. his name? Adam? Because he's the one that said that, and I wanted to point out the credibility of the person who, who was making that statement. Uh, you spoke his name. It's not yeah. like he's Beetlejuice, and I only said it once anyway. Now, See, now you're tempting, you're tempting you're Ben to say the it way twice, there. and then he'll appear. Um, but no... I'm I'm, um, I'm not bringing that but, shit on us. But I think overall with Clark, I think you can. I, I guess the 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 rawest way to put it, the 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 bluntest way to put it right now, is that if Hamid ends up leaving, however this whole thing plays out, um, Clark is a solid goalkeeper. He might occasionally let up a howler, but he will also come up with saves like the one against BWP, and that's those things balance out with a goalkeeper like him I, I would say i mean once they stop balancing out you have to be concerned um but his career track record is that yes you're going to get a couple goals that shouldn't have gone in yes you're going to get some fundamentals that are a little flawed but you're also going to get some stuff where it's like how on earth did he keep that out so you've got to take the good with the bad in that one at, at, at least at this point it seems like he is a well above average mls goalkeeper it's not like he's Brian Rowe or uh, I mean he's obviously better than Travis War or Eric Klonofsky so that's a that's an easy easy upgrade yeah I mean so far he's definitely done enough in these two games I think that um, we've seen Wara in the past we know from 2016 what he can do at his best but in 2017 we didn't see yeah. his best and that's that's on him uh, he's got a if he wants to fight for the job if, if the job's open which we're still we have no idea about but if he wants to fight for the job next year, and, and right, I mean, in his position, because Klonofsky is younger now, fighting for the job might also mean fighting for a job with DC United. They're not going to carry four goalkeepers next right. year. Right. Right. And I mean, obviously, Bill Hamid is better right. than anybody on this roster, and we hope yeah, he comes back. Idea. But it's not, look, it's but, not looking know, and, likely and, at this point. You've got to say at least DC United was proactive and didn't find themselves in the offseason saying, like, so what are we going to do if he leaves? Um, instead, they got... Right. It's not like Wara and Klonovsky right. are also, their only options. As, as the team has pointed out, as Ben Olsen has said a couple different times, with um, Hamid possibly being national team calls, uh, getting national team call-ups, and also his injury track record. Um, if he were to stay for five more years, are we to assume that he's going to play 34 games in those five seasons? Probably not. He doesn't have the track record of doing so. So um, yeah. this is a situation right. where... Um, and it's not his fault. It's just that's life, especially as a goalkeeper. Um, it's good to have a very solid backup. If you're if your starter has the occasional injury, um, then you do need to go invest in someone that can fill in those games because you might need those five or six games. Um, if you're most MLS teams can't afford to give away five or six games. Um, so yeah, it's it's at the worst at the worst case scenario, United has maybe overpaid for a very, very, very good backup, which is not really that big of a deal. Anything else on DC United you guys want to cover before we switch gears? No, I think it's time for us to move on. In that case, let's talk hexagonal. The U.S. men's national team's final two World Cup qualifiers, asterisk, <laughs> maybe, are upon us. Uh, the fourth place USA hosts third place Panama Friday night, I think yeah. in Orlando and uh, visit Trinidad and Tobago in a tiny field. I think it's a cricket field on uh, Tuesday night and the roster 
has led to some <sighs> some thoughts, some takes First, out in in the world. I don't know if we're going to break I'll down clarify, all of those the takes. Echo but Golden Stadium, Stadium in Cuba, uh, which is not the capital of Trinidad and Tobago, um, is a general athletics track and field stadium. It seats about ten thousand people. It's not really a place that you think of playing qualifiers. No. It'll be fun. I wonder if they have Wi-Fi. Perhaps. Of of not, maybe of interest to um, anyone listening to this podcast, Paul Ariola from DC United retains his spot in on the roster for the U.S. Men's National Team. Candidate to start, more likely a substitute in in both of these games. I think. Well, I don't know about that. I think that's his most likely role, given the last. Uh, the I, last I don't window. know about that. What do you think, Ben? Well, I mean, uh, you're, uh, since Fabian Johnson is not on this roster, I think Paul, Paul Ariola has a much more likely chance to start, especially with um, Kellen Acosta playing badly. I think uh, Alejandro Bedoya might start in the middle, so I think part, Paul Ariola might have a decent shout to start uh, on the right side of midfield. That's fair. I think I, I, I think he's got a decent shout, but I, I think it's more likely he appears Bedoya, as a sub. Um, starts in the middle. That means that Nagby's going to end up on one of the wings, and we know that if Bruce Arena plays the flat four for two again, which hopefully not, um, that means the other wing is also spoken for by a, a famous player from Hershey, Pennsylvania, that some of us have heard of, um, which reduces the chances for Ariola starting. So some of it comes down. To- but if you play. If you play a four-two-three-one with Which Bedoya should. and uh, Pulisic in the middle, uh, yes, and then you have um, uh, Altidore up top, and then Nagby and Ariel along the wings. I, I, I don't know if there's. I mean, yeah, I mean it's basically right. uh, comes down to where you put Pulisic, and I think you have to put him yeah. in the. Yeah. In the middle, number yes, 10 I, I agree. I agree with that. You have to put him in the middle, and then it depends on what formation you choose. But I feel like you have to put. Uh, I feel like at this point, just for, uh, just just to help things out in the middle, you have to put another central midfielder in there, and maybe you put Bedoya in there. Uh, yeah, I think you have to put. Pulisic in the middle, and you have it has to be a three man central midfield. You don't want to put him yeah. in a four four two. That's way too much defensive work or too much either for him or for his partner is effective and we shouldn't be reducing our best players effectiveness. Right. The question comes down to whether you're, you're giving him one forward or two in front of him, which means are you going a a four back or a three back? But yeah, I think you need to give him enough, enough support behind. I think you need to give him enough support behind so he has the freedom to go forward. Right. And that's why, and, that's why I'm saying a three man yeah, midfield. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I, th- I think it's, there's a chance he could start, especially, um, against Panama more than Trinidad because against Trinidad, I think the U.S. needs to go out and, uh, get themselves out in front. The more that game becomes stressful, the more likely they are to crumble. Um, because this group has shown some, some, not quite for, I don't want to go so far as to say fragility, but definitely some less than ideal um, re- team reactions in terms of their overall mentality. So um, that second game you know, with the, within the national team, with DC United, Ariel is a big offensive spark within the national team. 
he is maybe a bit more of a defense first choice uh, as a wide midfielder compared to the other guys on this roster. So um, I'm fascinated to see how it goes. I just, I, we haven't gotten there yet. Are you talking about Jesse Zarez? No, not yet. We're going to get to him. No, I, one thing I would point out for that is he would be a candidate to start if in, in a three back as, as the right wing back, but DeAndre Yedlin is back in the roster for this one oh, back yeah, from injury, definitely. and he's got to be the presumptive play. starter. Oh yeah, uh, on the right it's side, no matter happening. what formation they're playing. Uh, it's not. Arena's not. Arena yeah. has shown himself. To no, be, if anything, too much of a. No. Let's keep it simple. Let's stick with what we know because if you look at the. When he played it against Mexico, the goalkeepers so... on the roster, you know that Arena is choosing known <laughs> quantities yeah. over. I know doing Let... what makes more sense. I, I I was gonna save the talk for Arena for a little later, but, uh, after doing some roster stuff. But let's let's dive into into the coach right now because this roster has a lot of people saying a more colorful version of what gives. Um, and actually, the, we'll we'll use that as a window into some of these roster choices. Jesse Zardes was included. He immediately pulled out for injury, but he's been bad for a lot of this year for. Whatever uniform he was pulling on. I mean, I just, I, I still just can't get over. Like, if you haven't seen him against Sporting Kansas City playing as a right back, just, I mean, I, I don't blame Jesse Sardes because I mean, like, he, he, he should have never been put in that situation. But just looking at it as a study in someone who's so completely out of his depth that it is baffling. So you should go watch it just for that. But I mean, it's not his fault. It's not, it's like, like Adam said, it's totally on Ziggy and it's a little bit on Bruce too, because he should be a number nine. He should not be a winger. He should definitely not be a right back. Uh, so I don't know why I, people can continue to play in that position. The, at least as far as Zara's playing right back is it's actually, it's irrelevant to the national team um, because it's such an absurd choice that it doesn't even, it, it doesn't register as a thing to ever do with him again. Um Yes. Yeah. And we said we weren't going to, and then um, I brought it up. Uh, but, I, I mean, as yeah. I told you guys before we came on, Zardes isn't in the top 50 current active eligible players to play for the, the men's national team. Um, he's not among the top 10 yes. winger forward speed option types for the wide role or up front. He's playing really, really badly right now, and the... The only justification is that he's been involved in in Arena's national team camps before, and he's been involved in, or he's been involved in qualifying camps before. He's also been involved in Bruce Arena coached big game rosters with the Galaxy as well as the national team. All of those are the reasons that I'm sure Arena would cite. However, at a certain point, that has to stop mattering more than how good you are actually playing. And I think with Zardes, it's not even close. Um, he shouldn't even be like if there was a B yeah. team roster. If you took all those guys out and said pick another roster, I wouldn't include him in that second team roster. Um, so the fact that he got called in at all is alarming to me because we're all kind of on edge because the U.S. shouldn't be in a situation where if you know it's one nothing in the 89th minute and some bizarre bounce goes in and Panama gets a draw, we're in. We're probably headed to the playoff at that point. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, any little alarming thing is now becoming a major alarm. And when I see Zardes getting called in, I'm I'm worried about. Did we learn anything from the last window? Uh, 
It doesn't seem like it. Um, there are there are no. positives yeah, to the Bruce Arena like, went from yeah the the first window that Bruce Arena had in this second stint as as manager went about as well as it possibly could have. Uh, you have the dismantling of Honduras, and you have a result in Mexico, and that's it, it was amazing, and it, it all the good feelings came back about the national team, and then this this previous window, uh, it, they all went away. It all kind of came crashing down, and a lot of that was on Bruce Arena's kind of inherent conservativeness. I think. I mean, it, it made me feel more like 2006 Bruce was there rather than 2002 Bruce. Right. He he wanted to rely on the old hands. He wanted to play a a simple system, which I understand that instinct, both of them, in fact. But they 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 proved to be wrong. He made the wrong lineup choices and the wrong tactical choices at the wrong times, and it it cost him and it cost the team. And now. Uh, as Jason was saying before the show, we went from very little room for error to zero room for error on this. Um, luckily for for the U.S., Panama, who is just ahead of the U.S. on points right now, uh, hosts Costa Rica after, in the second game of this. And Honduras, who is tied with the U.S. on points right now, currently behind only on a tiebreaker. That is the reason the U.S. are in the playoff spot right now and and not in fifth you know, on the outside looking in Honduras has to go to Costa Rica and host Mexico for this, this final. So they have the, the window that got Jurgen Klinsmann fired right. coming up. So Honduras has well, the hardest possible two games without playing the U S right now. Uh, so that's a good point. Exactly. So we don't right. know we who don't they're going to run out. They are to do their best just as they were suspicious as to whether the U S would apply themselves during the last cycle, uh, when they were on the hook, uh, if the shoes on the other front, we don't know how it's going to go. Um, so basically, we need we need a, a Mexican Graham Zusi. Hopefully, we won't need a Mexican Graham Zusi to come to our. No, we, we just, need, we just yeah. need to win both games. Yeah. I mean, a win and a draw would probably be good enough. But let's just, let's just win both so games. Both games would would guarantee the U.S. finish third, which is. Unless Honduras somehow runs up the score in a major, major, major way, because I think they have a they lot do. of goals to make up in goal differential. So unless Honduras runs up the score on the two top teams in the group, um, it, yeah, winning both games guarantees the U.S. finishes third, doesn't have to deal with a playoff against, uh, who is it this year? South Asia. America? So, no, Asia. Asia. This year. So maybe, Aust- maybe, maybe Australia. Australia. Or Syria. Um, I know a lot of people have been just saying it would be Syria. It's not just Syria. Syria and Australia have a playoff of their own to play. Um, so when you tell your friends that it might be crazy that the U.S. plays Syria, remember that Australia is the gigantic heavy favorites to be the other team coming from Asia, not Syria. Yeah. So back to some lineup uh, decisions. One of the, I, I guess more shocking but also more defensible uh omissions from this is fabian johnson uh he's been included he did not play well in the last window he hasn't been playing much for his club in germany he's not been included it has not been included exactly yeah he's been left out uh benny failhaber on the other hand lives and juan Aguidello lives they're both back in in the roster for this one um any thoughts on on those three names in particular? 
I mean, Fabian Johnson probably shouldn't have been caught up the last time around, just based on the fact that he'd only had 10 minutes for uh, Mushin Gladbach. And, and he's had about two hours in the intervening time. Right. So I'm not that surprised. I mean, that that's the one ruthless uh, call that Bruce, Ami- or Bruce Arena has made that actually kind of makes sense. And especially if uh, Darlington Nagby is going to be your starting left midfielder, uh, if you're not going to – there's not necessarily a role for Fabian Johnson given the fact that he hasn't seemed that into playing for the USMNT except in the, the biggest game, so you may not want to – uh, have him there if I don't, you're not gonna I don't have him as that. your starter. I, I don't have any questions about Johnson's level of uh, dialing in once he gets called in. He's not Timmy Chandler, um, but I do think that the fitness thing is is the overarching point. Um, this is not the U.S. can't take the risk on a guy not being able to go or or starting a game but not being able to get through it unexpectedly. Um, it's one thing if guys get hurt, there's nothing you can do. But when you've got a guy where there's a significant chance he could get hurt and you know it coming in, yeah. that's a big risk that, you know, just as, you know, there are times where arena's inherent caution with these rosters has been appropriate. And this is one of them is if you've got a question in your mind about a guy being able to get through without having to come out, then he's probably not fit enough to make this roster right now. Um, as for the other guys, you know, we talk, you know, Adding Failhaber is, is a nice uh, wild card to, to put put in the deck, certainly. Um, especially if, you know, we're talking... If he comes in and plays only 10 minutes in these two qualifiers, but he comes in and produces a goal, um, it might be the difference between qualifying and being in the playoff. Um, so you want to have that kind of uh, risk taker. And apparently the quote from him is that he told... The whoever called him to say that you got called up, he said, if you guys are just calling me and you will be a cheerleader, then I'm happy to be a cheerleader. Um, so he's super enthusiastic about being called in, um, which is good to hear because he's had, there are, are reasons to, you know, wonder sometimes what's going on in Benny Failhaber's head. Uh, he can be very emotional and uh, petulant in a way that he doesn't need to be, but in this case, it sounds like he's super committed to getting the job done, even if he doesn't get to play. Um, Agudelo kind of fits the same bill for me, uh, especially, um, if you need to throw an extra, if you need to throw an extra goal scorer on and you've already got two forwards, if Altidore and Wood are in the game and it gets late, um, and you want to throw more size into the game and more of a goal threat from wide, you can bring Agudelo in for Nagby, uh, if that 4-4-2 is in place and, uh, kind of go for it. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, it's good to have, this is the kind of thing that, Klinsman was one of the things that Klinsman missed was his roster construction didn't allow him to deal with different scenarios. He was kind of stuck in one scenario all the time. Uh, having these two guys allows for, hey, what if Panama finds themselves up one nothing with 10, 15 minutes left? Or what if Trinidad is holding on for whatever reason and we're sitting on a 1-1 and we need to get the win? Um, what do we do? Now you've got these two extra options that change your profile. It's not just sending fresh legs in. It's actually changing who you are as a team and making that we might see kitchen sink approach at the end of one of these games, trying to get the goal, just like we did uh, in Honduras because that equalizer came so late. Um, But you've got to give yourself the ability to do that uh, with your roster. You can't just say like, well, I'm just going to send in the same kind of player that's uh, already on the field. You need to be able to, 
change the dynamic. And I think that's what those two guys are in for. So I, I think there there might be more of an open question about who starts in in the back on this one. Um, goalkeeper, we're going to leave aside. There's there's it's going to be Guzan Guzan or Howard. Um, neither of Howard, neither of which, especially Tim Howard, I think has been super impressive. Of late, Guzan has been better, but Howard has not been great for Colorado these last few weeks. But we'll we'll see who gets the start. I want to know who starts at center back because the, especially in the last window that it didn't work in either game. And that that's a problem because now that, like we said earlier, there's no room for error. The center backs on the roster are Matt Beasler, Jeff Cameron, Omer Gonzalez, Michael Orozco, and Tim Ream are are the list. Orozco is sort of just a utility defender. He's, not really yeah. any specific position. He's a so so it, it's going to be Cameron and Beasler, right? I mean, you'd think so, but you'd think so. But Tim Ream got a start last time. Yeah, <sighs> uh, and I mean, and we know we know how much Bruce likes Omar, right? Um, and, and to be fair to Gonzalez, to a certain extent, the the goal that he was responsible for during the last window was so utterly bizarre that you almost it's like. Look, sometimes uh, people do things that are completely inexplicable. Um, it, it was so out of luck. Sometimes the bar eats you. Yeah, I, I mean, I still can't wrap my head around his uh, thought process. And, and we have, I mean, even if you haven't seen him play in Mexico, we still have his entire NCAA career and his entire MLS career to think of where it, this is not the kind of, uh, it, when he's made mistakes, they are smaller mistakes. They aren't like, don't you understand you could reach your leg out and touch the ball away? Um, where that goal, it almost seemed like he didn't realize that was a physical option in reality. Like, no, I can't touch that ball. Gotta let it keep going, see what happens. Um, so yeah, I, I have no idea who's going to start uh, in cent- central defense. Uh, I can rule out the non-center backs. I think I can rule out Orozco. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, if any combination of those four is trotted out except... Maybe I, I think Reem and Beasler both starting is doubtful. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. It, all the other combinations are on the table. I really don't know what we're going to get um, in either game. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's kind of the it's one of the after effects or the side effects of um, such a stressful and bizarre qualifying cycle is we're this far in and we're still like, so who's going to start at center back the position that's usually one about stability. Um, and we don't have an yeah. answer. Miss you, John Brooks. Miss you, John Brooks. Yeah. If John Brooks wants to invent himself a, uh, cloning machine that also heals his, uh, his hamstring injury, then, uh, that'd be great. Uh, I don't know if that's why do we always that? come back to cloning when it comes to us national team goalkeepers. Last time I think we had a bunch of Eddie Pope's running around goalkeepers. Or center back, sorry. Look, I want it's late. Time machines and cloning machines, I think, would be very useful for soccer teams as long as you didn't let anyone else uh, use your technology. <laughs> um, but then, you, and because it would still be good if we had six Eddie Pope. Yeah, this, this doesn't change the fact that it would still be great if we had six Eddie. Popes. Why are you anti cloning machine? I'm I'm not. I just think it's interesting that even when we're not talking about Eddie Pope, we we find a way to talk about cloning. U.S. national team defenders. In this case, a cloning machine that also heals injuries. Um, 
Or just one that heals injuries. It doesn't even have to clone. If we just heal John Brooks so he could play, that would be great. To be clear, we're we're talking about basically replicators, right? Like machines that just duplicate the person as they are now, not not throwing it. I'm talking about that. No, I'm talking about back to tanks that you just submerge your tank yourself in this giant tank and it heals all your injuries. Yeah, that's okay. That's what I was thinking of. The but uh, but where does the clone come in? Cure. Well, I'm not talking about clones. I'm talking about back to tanks from Star Wars that you dip yourself into, a la uh, Luke Skywalker in uh, in uh, The Empire Strikes Back, and you get healed in that back to tank, and then you're just healed. I think you're changing the parameters because the word cloning definitely no, came I'm up. Not. I, I, I am. I don't want to talk about cloning. I don't. Agree, I, I only agree with cloning if we have six any popes, but. John Brooks, the John Brooks we already have is good enough if he were just healthy. I really have nowhere to go from there. So, unless you guys have somewhere, we're going to end the show. Uh, Put John Brooks in a back to sink. Yeah, I don't Do we have, have that technology? We don't. Um, in that no, case, we don't, let's, unfortunately. Let's end the show. Thank you all yeah. for listening to whatever that was this is the filibuster podcast find us at black and red united.com we're on twitter at filibuster dcu for the podcast at black and red U for the website we are also on patreon patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like supporting us financially um you can also reach us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com you can Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, the podcatcher of your choice. Uh, apparently, it helps if you leave us ratings and reviews. So if you're so inclined, please do that, too. Mostly, though, the thing we ask for you to do the most is tell a friend about the show, especially if they already like DC United and or the national teams. Uh, that That's really the best way to help us out is to just get the word out. So... Thanking you in advance for Jason and Ben. I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Time machine. Not cloning or back to tanks. Time machine. Time machine. Time machines. We have to focus on. Them.